You're listening to the After the Stork podcast, Infant and Toddler Sleep with Megan Robert, Episode 7, Sleep Training When Your Child Has Night Feedings. In this episode, I'm going to touch on the realistic expectations to set, what to consider when making the decision of whether or not to keep night feedings, and the steps for how to go about sleep training if you do decide to keep them. Welcome to the After the Stork podcast, Infant and Toddler Sleep with Megan Robert. That's me, creator and host. If you have an infant or toddler and sleep is a priority for your family, if you want to create healthy sleep habits and a strong and safe sleep foundation for your little one, if you desire a predictable schedule that permits time for things like self-care, date nights, and planned outings, If you need your bed back or want your child sleeping in their own sleep space and desire to follow safe sleep guidelines, if you crave an overall well-rested and thriving family, well, you've come to the right place. As an infant and toddler sleep consultant, I built this podcast to bring you all things infant and toddler sleep and sleep training so that you can have the confidence in making informed decisions that are best for your family when it comes to your child's sleep. Your child is worth it. Your family is worth it. And moms, dads, you are worth it. Now let's dive in. If you have a little one who still requires night feedings, but you wish to shape sleep for your newborn or to improve sleep for your struggling infant or toddler, this episode is for you. In this episode, I'll be covering the myth that sleep training means getting rid of all night feedings, potentially depriving a child of food. Night feedings is actually one topic that falls into the category of PLUS from Ezra PLUS mentioned in episode 3. Ezra PLUS is an acronym for the five areas to consider when evaluating sleep and creating a sleep plan. If you have not yet listened to that episode, I highly encourage you to do so as it covers the foundation of sleep from a behavioral perspective. In this episode, we will touch on the realistic expectations to set for night feedings and sleep, what to consider when making the decision of whether or not to keep night feedings, and the steps for how to go about sleep training if you decide to keep them. And if you are someone considering dropping night feedings, this episode will still be really valuable for you. You will just want to also keep an eye out for the next episode where I cover how to drop night feedings while sleep training. This idea that sleep training means getting rid of all night feedings is not true if a family does not wish for it to be true. You can work on building a strong sleep foundation while also feeding your newborn when hungry. And if your infant is struggling with sleep, you can sleep train while keeping night feedings. You just need to be strategic and intentional with how you go about it. If you are a professional who works with families of infants who still have night feedings and value sleep, this episode is also for you. Unfortunately, the idea of sleep training is not fully understood by a lot of professionals outside of the sleep realm, and thus there is this negative energy around it that passes on to parents, and that negative energy often stems from misconceptions like this one. Because of this, I would love for this episode to be heard by other professionals who support parents with young children in order to better serve our clients based on what they need. After all, it is our job to armor parents with knowledge and then empower them to make the best decision for their children and family. When I work with clients, I'm willing to work with their pediatrician, lactation consultant, doula, or whoever else is involved when creating a sleep plan if desired. If you are a professional working with a family who is exhausted, at least let them know that they have options. Now, let me be clear here. This is not to say that people never fail to feed their infants of necessary feedings while sleep training. Unfortunately, this absolutely does happen. 
But I believe a big reason for this is because of this misconception that is often supported by people who do not understand the nature of sleep or do not understand what sleep training truly entails. So I'm here to educate you so that together we can change this narrative. Some parents just don't know that it is an option to sleep train while keeping night feedings, and some parents are so desperate for sleep that they decide to implement a sleep training method without creating a strategic plan, thinking that sleep training means no night feedings and thus just cold turkey dropping them. So whether you are a parent or a professional, if you take anything away from this episode, let it be that sleep and night feedings can coexist. You can work towards getting an infant quality rest while still meeting their need for caloric intake. You do have options. Now, I have been doing this work since 2015. From my years of experience, I typically see the following with my clients once their children learn the skill of falling asleep and connecting sleep cycles independently, as well as having the other components of sleep in place. One, the night feedings that were to soothe back to sleep disappear while the true feedings stick around. True feedings are those feedings when your child is actually consuming milk. Number two, the infant cries out in the middle of the night when waking due to hunger and makes typical in-between sleep cycle noises while smoothly falling back to sleep when waking due to a natural transition between sleep cycles. This is normal. Number three, for infants four months and older, the number of night feedings naturally tends to drop between zero and two times per night. And number four, night feedings tend to naturally drop completely around six and nine months of age with some outliers. Now keep in mind, this is from my experience. This is what I have seen with my clients. This isn't a huge sample size. It's not um, it's not randomized. It's not diverse. Uh, but this is what I generally see with my clients. So now that you know sleep training while keeping night feedings is an option and what realistic expectations to set, let's discuss the four steps for deciding if you are going to keep or drop any night feedings and how to go about sleep training if you do decide to keep them. Step one, talk to your pediatrician. Before making any decisions about keeping or dropping night feedings when sleep training, first things first, figure out what is best for your infant's growth and development by speaking with your child's pediatrician. You will need to consider your child's age, weight, daily caloric intake, and your own mental health. When working with clients of young infants, I always ask that my clients receive the green light from their pediatrician before we even discuss the option of dropping any true night feedings. For parents of children one year and older, I don't require this as night feedings are usually not necessary unless specified for a medical reason. And if this is the case, the parents already know this from previous pediatrician visits. So by this age, I educate while still leaving the final decision to keep or drop up to the parents. So if you have a little one with night feedings and you are considering weaning off of them, call or set an appointment to discuss the number of night feedings you should expect based on your baby's needs. Now, a little side note about sleep training and the 24-hour caloric intake. With newborns one to two months adjusted age as an exception, infants who wake frequently at night to feed are generally not eating much at every feeding unless they are going through some kind of growth spurt. By frequently, I mean waking more than one to three times per night and letting you know, and the feedings not being true feedings. True feedings, meaning the child nurses or takes a bottle and actually consumes milk, and consuming that milk in order to satiate or hydrate themselves. 
Instead, these frequent sessions at the breast or bottle result in very little milk consumed and are a way to soothe back to sleep between sleep cycles. If an infant is only feeding to fall back asleep instead of for a true feeding, those shorter feedings are not contributing much to the daily caloric intake to begin with. Something to keep in mind when you begin to create and implement your sleep plan. The number of calories consumed within a 24-hour period should not change much because of sleep training. Instead, it is the time of day for when those calories are consumed that might change if your child is having multiple feedings at night and you desire to drop one or more of those feedings. One caveat, though, to what I just said about sleep training and caloric intake is that I have had several of my clients with young infants who were not eating well before we started working together. However, once sleep improved, eating improved tremendously. Okay, that wraps up step one. Talk to your pediatrician. Now, throughout this episode, I'll be using the example of Jules, a seven-month-old girl who is breastfeeding at night, to kind of paint a picture for you so that you understand how this works. When we first began sleep training back in September 2020, Jules was sharing a bed with her twin brother, mom, and dad. She was waking frequently at night requiring a breastfeeding session to get back to sleep, but when I asked mom, well, how frequently is frequent, mom's reply was, I am too sleep-deprived to count. So that leads us to our next step. Step two is to log your infant's feedings for three to five days. If breastfeeding you're going to log the start time of each feeding session with the duration of the feeding. If you're bottle feeding, you're going to log the start time and the amount consumed for each session. If you are already doing this, great, you are ahead of the game. When we have this information, it is usually pretty easy to then pinpoint the true feedings at night from the ones used to soothe back to sleep between sleep cycles. I generally like to use the app Baby Connect or Daily Connect This is not an ad. I just love this tracking app so much. I've used it since I started nannying back in 2011, I believe it is. And I've tried other tracking apps and it just happens to be my favorite. So um, I would suggest getting an app, but if you're a pen and paper person, totally fine. With this episode, I created a freebie for you called Sleep Training with Night Feedings Guide and Template. You can use that resource to guide you throughout this process and also find templates to help you when you are logging information if you are a pen and paper person. Now on to step three, analyze the log to find three pieces of information. Now it is time to make sense of the data collected. We are fishing for three pieces of information. One, the number of true night feedings. Two, the general time for true night feedings, especially that first one of the night. And three, a typical duration between the beginning of one feeding to the next throughout the day. You are going to look at the data and find the first true feeding of the night. What is the earliest your infant has been experiencing a true feeding? This is what we will designate as what I call the first okay to feed time, for lack of better terms. It is generally three hours or more from the last feeding prior to bedtime. Note that this does not need to be rigid. This is just to give you a general idea for the next step so that when you create and implement your sleep plan, you do so in a way that leaves you feeling confident in your decisions at night. Because when you are sleep training and it's the middle of the night, sometimes things get a little fuzzy. So when you have a written plan, uh, you have that guideline in front of you, it's much easier to know what to do and when to do it. 
Now here is Jules real life example. After logging, we discovered that true feedings for Jules lasted between 10 to 20 minutes and tended to be around midnight and 4 a.m. How did we know this? Mom said that she could feel when letdowns occurred. She said that she could see and hear whether or not Jules was actually drinking milk, and she also logged the duration of each session. So we were able to see which sessions actually lasted that 10 to 20 minutes and which ones only lasted a couple minutes. If Jules had been bottle feeding, we would have known her true feedings based on whether or not the amount consumed was equivalent to other meals. Mom or dad would have also paid attention to whether or not she was actively drinking the bottle or falling asleep rather quickly upon receiving the bottle without actually drinking much milk. Now on to the last step, step four. Create night feeding guidelines in your sleep plan. When you create your sleep plan, you will want to include guidelines for how to handle night feedings. This is a piece of the puzzle that is not often included when sleep training. If you are missing this part, it is very easy to be confused about what to do, especially when you're woken up in the middle of the night, potentially slowing down or hindering the sleep training process. This forgotten piece is often what leaves families giving up on the process and concluding that sleep training just does not work. Don't let that be you. Like I mentioned, to go with this episode, I have created a sleep training with night feedings guide and template so that when you write up your sleep plan, you aren't missing this important piece. You can get that at afterthestorksleep.com forward slash night feedings. Again, that's afterthestorksleep.com forward slash night feedings, or you can also find the link in the show notes. Now here is where you need to come back to me if you started zoning out. This part is crucial to sleep training success for an infant with night feedings. Within your sleep plan, you will have decided on your level of involvement, aka which sleep training method you would like to use to help your infant master the skill of falling asleep independently and connecting sleep cycles independently. For any waking at night that is prior to the okay to feed time, you will respond to your infant with the sleep training method chosen until they fall asleep. The first time that your infant wakes after the okay to feed time, go to them immediately to feed. If your infant wakes prior to the okay to feed time, and you have been responding with the sleep training method chosen, but your infant does not fall back asleep by the okay to feed time, continue responding with the sleep training method chosen until your infant falls back asleep, and then feed them immediately at the next waking. I repeat, let your infant fall back asleep and feed immediately at the next waking. Avoid responding with the sleep training method and then feeding due to the time on the clock. Your infant does not know time. Your infant picks up on patterns. Be consistent with the patterns so that they know what to expect. So back to the real life example of Jules. The sleep training method chosen by Jules' parents was the sleep wave, which is a form of timed checks. If Jules woke prior to midnight, mom or dad would respond with this method. Once Jules woke at or after midnight for the first time, mom would go breastfeed right away. After feeding, mom would lay Jules down regardless if she was asleep or awake and then respond with the sleep training method chosen if needed. Now, if Jules had woken up at 11.45 and she was still awake at midnight, her parents would let her fall back asleep. They would continue responding with the sleep wave And then the next time she would wake, they would respond and go feed immediately. Now that was about the first feeding. What about feedings after that? 
This is where the duration between feedings comes into play. Once your infant wakes for the first time to eat at night, you'll use that information to figure out the next okay to feed time based on the typical duration between feedings. Just as with the first feeding, for any waking at night that is prior to the next okay to feed time, you will respond to your infant with the sleep training method chosen until they fall asleep. If your infant wakes prior to the next okay to feed time and you have been responding with the sleep training method but your infant doesn't fall back asleep by the okay to feed time, continue responding with the sleep training method chosen until your infant falls back asleep. Then you'll feed immediately at the next waking. You'll repeat this part throughout the night based on the duration between feedings until you reach a predetermined time to hold off on feeding until your baby wakes for the day. I generally suggest at least an hour, if not more, from the okay to wake time and no later than 5.30 a.m. Why do I suggest this? Well, for a couple reasons. First, feeding too close to the okay to wake time can encourage early risings. Two factors contribute to this. One is sleep drive. Two, sleep cycles consisting mostly of REM sleep, which is that dream sleep, when approaching the wake time. This means that your infant is in a state of sleep where it is normal to fall in and out of sleep. With both of these factors, it is easier for them to be woken up by outside distractions and much harder to fall back asleep if they're disturbed. Hence, feedings too close to the okay to wake time can make it more difficult for your little one to sleep to an appropriate time of day, throwing off the entire day. Second, if you feed too close to your baby's wake time, there's a chance your infant might not be hungry upon waking. This first feeding of the day allows the rest of the day's feedings and naps to fall into place. With it being too early, your infant has a higher potential of experiencing hunger during a nap time and sleepiness during a feeding. If you listened to episode two, then you understand that this could be an issue for your infant's sleep. Now, back to that real-life example of Jules. From logging... We knew Jules' general wake time was around 6.30 a.m. when we first started sleep training. We designated her okay to wake time as 6.30 a.m. with waking her by 7 a.m. if she was still asleep. Hence, we decided that any waking past 5 a.m. would be treated with the sleep training method chosen while waiting until she was up for the day to have another feeding. Now, if you are considering dropping feedings, first, consider waiting until further into sleep training. Often, a child who no longer needs night feedings will drop them naturally once able to connect sleep cycles independently. So generally, what I will suggest to my clients is to first follow the steps I provide for keeping night feedings, and then let's see what happens after a few days to a week for their child before weaning them. I do this for a couple reasons. One, because I'm generally dealing with exhausted parents. By this point in the consultation, we have already covered a lot of material. So what I'll do is explain what I just did and ask if they would like to discuss how to go about dropping night feedings now or if they would like to hop on a phone call later as needed. Most choose to wait to see how it goes. Second, and this is the main reason I do this, is because I know that the first couple nights of sleep training can be really hard on parents. And with that, it is really easy to fall back on your plan if feeding is something that is the go-to option to help your child calm down and get back to sleep. If a parent goes into sleep training not understanding the night feeding guidelines, it can set them back and prolong the sleep training process with potentially more tears. Hence, I would much rather explain the steps for keeping night feedings first and then discuss dropping them once the family is over the hump of the first couple nights. Now, like I said, if you are someone who's considering dropping night feedings or you know that you want to do it, 
Keep an eye out for the next episode. So back to the story of Jules. After four nights of sleep training, Jules was only waking once to feed on most nights. By night six, her mom concluded that she no longer needed the midnight feeding, but would probably need the one feeding happening between 3 and 4 a.m. for a bit longer. So after our time together, in mom's words, I'm happy with how they're doing. Reminder, Jules is, is a twin. This has been such a game changer, and I can see it is only going to get easier. Seriously, thank you. We could not have done this without you. I am more rested and less stressed. It's so great. So you see, the idea that you can't sleep train your infant if they have night feedings simply is not true. Sure, someone might choose not to sleep train while their baby has night feedings, but if you want to feel like yourself again while helping that baby of yours achieve quality sleep, it is absolutely possible while still feeding your infant. Get my sleep training with night feedings guide and template to help you in creating this portion of your sleep plan. As a quick recap, here are the four steps we covered. Step one, talk to your pediatrician. Step two, log your infant's feedings for three to five days. Step three, analyze the log to find three pieces of information. And step four, create night feeding guidelines in your sleep plan. I see how parents like you are trying to give your children what is best for them, but at the same time, feeling conflicted about what best for them really is, mostly due to conflicting information out there and the opinions of others. I also see you depriving yourself of your basic needs to avoid being selfish or for fear of parent shame, and I know it does not have to be this way, at least not once you're past those newborn months. So it kills me when I see an exhausted parent reaching out for support to only be shut down to the idea of improving sleep due to a child having night feedings. For anyone lacking the expertise of sleep to spread this rumor and scare parents away from providing the proper quality and quantity of both food and sleep to meet a baby's needs is simply irresponsible. I have seen the power of sleep for individual children, their individual parents, and for their entire family dynamic. And yes, that includes families with children who continue to have night feedings past the sleep training. So just remember, your child is worth it. Your family is worth it. And moms, dads, you are worth it. Thanks for tuning in to the After the Stork podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast. By doing all of those things, you can help me to reach more families in need of guidance with their little one's sleep. And if you don't already, follow me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle afterthestork.megan. That's afterthestork.megan. And if you desire support with your little one's sleep journey, you can reach out to me directly on either one of those platforms. I hope to see you there.